is never the underdog. Yes, sir. It's never the underdog. Yes, sir. What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, joined by my co-host, Shu. We don't have Raul today, but we do have some special guests. we got Josh Cox and Jamie Holt here with us from the Section 17 podcast. We figured as the season's starting to get kind of close, definitely for football, we'd have these guys jump on and talk a little bit about just, you know, some new faces that are going to be on the field and on the court this year. Um, pretty exciting for Duke Athletics, I think. It's kind of a new era. Uh, so we wanted to bring these guys on, talk a little bit about Duke football. They're the experts on that. We just kind of follow it kind of loosely a little bit. Um, so maybe kind of get a different perspective. But I guess we'll just jump right in here and I'll just toss it to you. I guess, Josh, I'll toss it to you first here. Um, so kind of what what kind of got this in motion? I guess, first off, how long have y'all been a fan of Duke football and, and how how far back does that go for you guys? Yeah, so uh, we're all local guys, uh, live around the Durham area, and each of us have been lifelong Duke fans, right? So been in Wallace Wade during the 0 and 12 seasons, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but about five years ago, we got season tickets together and started sitting together. We just happened to choose Section 17 to where we were going to sit. And um, a couple of years into that, we were like, you know, we ought to create like a Twitter handle because we all have our own like individual, you know, Twitter accounts where we're like, this one can just be talking football. So we we started that. And then in early 2020, uh, we were we were just out on a group text. We we're like, hey, we should just I was like, we should just try a podcast. There is no, there is no Duke football podcast other than the one at that time, the one that was being put out by Duke, which honestly, they don't put a lot of effort and energy into it anyway. So we were like, this will be kind of neat. Well, just so happened, obviously, 2020, COVID hits. Zoom, what we're doing becomes a thing because that was our, our big thing was like, how are we going to get together and right. like record these? So Zoom becomes a thing and becomes easy. So in April of 2020, we launched the podcast. And from there, uh, we've just grown every year, man. I mean, obviously, our first two seasons Duke went two and nine and three and nine. So that wasn't ideal at the end of the Cutcliffe era. Uh, but we kind of started from there and worked our way up. And now we have media credentials and have had Coach Elko on the podcast. I've had uh, Duke Athletic Director Nina King on the podcast. And, uh, we're growing and and having fun doing it, man. For sure, for sure. And I was going to ask about that too. Just like you know, how do y'all manage that? The kind of highs and lows. Um, you know, hopefully Shire continues what he's what we're left off. But we don't experience that a whole lot on the basketball side of things, right? Usually we're pretty, you know, top five, top ten perennially. Um, how do y'all navigate that? I guess what defines success for you guys when it comes for a Duke football season? Honestly, Coach Cutcliffe got it to the point where success for us was getting to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. And then we we started winning bowl games. We had been a lot of Duke fans don't realize we had been what was it, Josh, fifty years without winning a bowl game yeah. before we won the pinstripe bowl. The Indiana. Um, yep. So success was defined, and Cutcliffe kind of made got us got us a little spoiled, uh, kind of like Duke basketball fans, but not quite that because <laughs> like Duke, you know Duke basketball we're super spoiled. Oh yeah. Um, but Duke football, we were, I mean, we were getting a little spoiled with Cutcliffe. And then those last two years, it just kind of fell off, which was unfortunate. Uh, and it was kind of a, a bad, semi-bad breakup, I think. And I don't think Cut wanted to leave, but I think he was, they never said so, but I think he was kind of forced out. So it was, 
just a bad situation. I was going to ask you about that too. Like, you know, cause he kind of comes in and just completely rebrands revitalizes. We were just talking before we started about the whole, uh, you know, 2012, 2013, 14, that kind of like era right there, where we were kind of, it was like, Oh, we're back, right? This is legit. This could be sustainable. And then at some point, you know, what, what broke the camel's back here, I guess, like what kind of happened? Is this recruiting was philosophy for you all? What, how did we get yeah. to where we are now? So um, I believe as simply as I can put it, uh, he had some high, high level assistant coaches take jobs at bigger schools because of how well they were doing. And he replaced them with former grad assistants. And every replacement was like a, almost almost every replacement was an internal promotion. And before you knew it, there weren't many voices in the room that he didn't completely control. Mm. And um, at the end of the day, he, he he got let go from Ole Miss one year after going nine and three. And it was because the administration came to him and said, you've got to let go of some of your assistants. We've got to do better. And he refused to do it, his loyalty. So at the end of the day, it's his loyalty to his guys, his unwillingness, I believe, to step outside of the box and hire some people that would, you know, take us to the next level. But I mean, former Duke, um, Jim Knowles, former defensive coordinator from Duke, went to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 and put them on the map defensively. He just got hired. He's entering his first season at Ohio State mm-hmm. as a defensive coordinator. So guys like that leave the program, and you you promote from within to replace a man like that. That's gonna that's gonna catch up with you for sure. Like it's like you know you don't see it on the basketball side of things because they're the blue bloods, but it's like you see it everywhere else, right? You have mm-hmm. a deep run in the tournament, you make a Sweet Sixteen. That dude's getting an offer for D one or for a higher major type offer. It sounds like that's maybe what happened a little bit. I just remember. There was a period, I think Eli was like uh, going through some kind of surgery or rehab and like him and Peyton were like on campus and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, if we can really brand that, you know, obviously the youngest Manning brother speaking for himself and what he's going to be able to do. uh, Sucks that that couldn't stay long enough to maybe get make that happen. But it sounds like uh, it sounds like Elko's kind of well received or or is the fan base kind of excited about that hire? Was that disappointing or or what did y'all know about him kind of prior to him jumping on board? I think everybody was super excited about Elko. And we heard some rumors, you know, starting like we heard Jason Garrett like was (laughs) in for the Duke job. And I don't I don't I don't think that that was ever the case. I think Nina King wanted Mike Elko and she got Mike Elko. Um, he's been a great defensive coordinator over the years. And one of the places I'm, I look at was Wake Forest. I mean, he was at Wake Forest. Um, and he had them as a, I believe, top 40 defense in the country, which if he can do that at Duke, I mean, that's fantastic. And we're, we're going to be winning football games if, if he can do that at Duke. Because, I mean, if he can just get a top 40 defense, that, that would be just fantastic because we – have not been able to stop anybody. Mm-hmm. And Mike Elko would tell you he will take from his experiences at Notre Dame as well. Cause he came in and saying, even in his introductory press conference that me and Josh were at, he came in saying, Duke is a brand. And that's that is the case. He's like, you can walk into a, a recruit's home on the West Coast and say, you know, we're with Duke and they're gonna know Duke. Mm-hmm. I mean you know, Duke football hadn't been the greatest in the world the last couple of years, but it's still Duke is a name brand and people recognize that brand. So and I think he's pushing that. And it's just been a big change from Cutcliffe. I mean, he's all over social media. He's, you know, he's interacting with fans. He's 
doing all sorts of different stuff that just Coach Cutcliffe would never do. Mm. And I the defense, the big- for sure, is going to be a definitely a, a different wow. perspective. Uh, sorry, Josh, go ahead. Jump no, in. No, no. I was just going to say, to piggyback on what he said about Notre Dame, we went into that, into Elko, thinking, man, he's going to draw from his time at Wake Forest. It's a small private college here in the ACC in this in this area. He recruited this area. He knows this area. And we expected him to talk a lot about, man, I'm going to learn and I'm going to build on what I what I learned at Wake Forest. And he really, with, with respect to Dave Clawson and with respect to that program, he said, that's not my goal. My goal is Notre Dame. Like, yeah. I want to take the year that I learned at Notre Dame where I can, yeah, I can recruit locally. But like Jamie said, I can walk into a living room out west somewhere and and have a conversation with a kid who values academics as well as athletics and be a viable option, you know, in the, in the Stanford, you know, mm-hmm. USC, maybe Stanford, Notre Dame type of an atmosphere. And so that's his goal. And I really like that. It's it's, it's a high goal to attain and we're nowhere close to it yet. But I love the fact that he set that standard very high as opposed to just, Hey, let's get to where Wake Forest is, which, Hey, all due respect to Wake Forest, but he, he's aiming higher than that. And it might be smart from a recruiting standpoint, just being in the South, you were competing heavily with like the SEC, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, Georgia. And so maybe taking the brand and saying, you know, hey, what's available in Pennsylvania or, you know, who's out here in, you know, Oregon doing things right. Like maybe you could poach that versus if you got a local kid from, you know, Alabama or something and he's sitting there, you know, Auburn and Alabama are going to be knocking on the door and it's going to be hard to maybe you know, out recruit that. So, yeah. Yep. And he's already, he's already got the number 32 ranked recruiting class coming in next year, which for Duke football, that's fantastic. I don't know for Duke basketball, we'd be like, like what's going on? <laughs> like number 32, like uh, that's, we're used to the top five recruiting classes, but uh, for Duke football, that's, that's outstanding. And he's been really hitting the recruiting trail hard and, and landing a lot. seems like commitments, like, Therefore, a stretch was like every day he was getting somebody to commit. Mm -hmm. And the recruiting side on football is definitely way different than it is. You know, you can have like three or four recruits and that's a number one class in basketball. And you can, you know, 17, 18, 19 different guys coming in in football. Right. So it's just a different dynamic there. Um, It's wild because there's a lot of decommits as well. mm -hmm. We've already lost one of these guys in 2023. But to Jamie's point, I actually did the numbers real quick before we got on from June the 20th. Until July the eighth, in that stretch of time, uh, we signed twenty recruits wow. in the twenty twenty three class wow. between June the twentieth and July the eighth, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, so, and it, especially if you can get them to stay, right? That's yeah. probably a huge. Well, now it's like that in basketball too, but I'm, in football, I'd imagine a lot of your recruiting is your freshmen to sophomores, right? Your sophomores yeah. to juniors. How do we get these guys to retain to stay in the program, and then you know, junior senior year, we might have something here, right? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Well, I do want to get y'all's thoughts a little bit too. So we'll we'll kind of pivot to basketball for just a second. Um, obviously, we have Shire coming in, a little bit pretty familiar face for all of us, right? National champion. Um, he's been an associate head coach and assistant coach since 2015. So he's won a title as a player and as a coach. Now that he's taking over in year one, what what are y'all guys expecting to see for Shire? So I asked you kind of what defines success for Duke football. What's going to define success for John Shire? Yeah, I, well, first of all, I think it's interesting that you have Nina King, who's in her mid-40s as athletic director. You have Mike Elko in his mid-40s as the football coach. You got Kara Lawson, 
a young young uh, women's basketball coach, and then obviously now John Shire, the most visible programs in the athletic department. It's like a, a whole new generation of coaches. And so I think it's pretty interesting and pretty wild that within a two-year period of time, all of those changes have kind of happened. Um, so that's pretty wild. Um, I, I would I caution the expectation on John Shire because I know recency bias has us thinking eight miles down the road what happened in the first year of Hubert mm-hmm. Davis at UNC. And they got hot at the right time, and they they played incredible. And he made some strategic moves, you know, shortening that bench and, you know, really doing some different things. And I'm not putting that on John Shire. Um, I think I would just love to see John Shire prove his X's and O's, um, keep his guys together, uh, like not not be out coached and lose us a game from the bench, you know, things like that. Like, I think we all know he's a heck of a recruiter. We all know he's a motivator and the guys love him. But at the end of the day, I, I would just love to see like an end of game situation, like old school Duke. Like mm-hmm. we win a couple of games that were like super tight in the last two minutes because of an out of bounds play he drew up or because of, you know, fill in the blank, whatever coaching. I would love to see that personally. And I don't think that's too high of a, of a standard um, in the first season thinking about, about Shire. I think this is like, so different from when Kay came in as a young coach to now Shire coming in as a young coach. Now Shire has to deal with social media. Mm-hmm. You got to deal with it. Everybody has so much access to the program, whereas Kay didn't have to deal with that stuff. Although, I mean, there were the, you know, the the fans that were screaming for, for him being fired, but for the most part, you didn't hear about that stuff. But now Shire is going to have to deal with that stuff. And I, I just, I'm afraid that Duke fans are so we have such unrealistic expectations because a lot of fans think we should, you know, be in the hunt for the national title every year. And it's just not, I mean, it's just not gonna happen. I mean, that that tournament's a crapshoot. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, I hope I mean he's got on, on paper, I mean, it looks like a good squad. Um, so I'm hoping for success in the first year. And to me, success would be, you know, if he gets to the second weekend of the of the tournament, I'm going to be happy because yeah. from there, you never know. I mean, right? Right. If you're in the second weekend of the tournament, you can make the Final Four. I mean, you're you're right there. So if he gets to that point, like, I'm pretty thrilled with Shire. And one thing that I'm super interested to see is what's he going to do with his rotation? Like, mm-hmm. is it going to be – is he going to widen that rotation or is he going to shrink it like, like what Kay always did? Um so that's going to be super interesting. I think a lot of us are really looking to see how he distributes minutes, what kind of style of play. I know personally, I'm really looking for a more modern style of play, kind of get out, shooting three, space on the floor. Uh, I am curious, though, of how he's going to motivate guys. And that, to me, was Kay's just like, that's what he's the goat of, was that motive. You know, he could come in and say, you know, we're going to win this effing game. And he was so intense, right? That like, I think John's different in that regard, right? John is competitive, but I think his style is going to have to be a little bit different versus how, you know, he had that look. You could just see him on the sidelines. He would throw the jacket, right? You've all heard the stories of the locker room antics. It's going to be interesting to see what John's style is. Um, Shu, I know you've talked a little bit too about like, how is he going to work the officials? Right. Kay was just a wizard over there, just in your ear, knew when to kind of like really get in your face, knew when to kind of just let you know that I'm here. You know, I think you, you've talked about the Wake Forest game where the Wake Forest, he, he reminds like 
you know, not to pull Brad Stevens up and everything, but that's what Brad does. He he lets a couple of them go by, and then but you know, there's gonna have to be a time where something's gonna have to be said, right? But for the most part, he, you know, he at least in that Wake Forest game, he let a lot of stuff slide. I thought so. That is yet to be seen. Well, you yeah. know, and you have K K transitioned from like. He in in the early nineties in ninety one ninety two and then he had his little his little issue there in the nineties late nineties but then got back in you know ninety nine, in the championship in two thousand one, he was like a father figure, meaning like he got on these guys and they talk about those practices from hell where they would get back and I mean the next day they knew it was coming and he would just you know and I, I know it's a different world right it's a completely different world of college basketball but K then transitioned through USA basketball I believe as well. But he kind of became like the grandfather, right? Mm. And so, like his motivating tactics were more like loving, and you know, I, I feel like it wasn't quite as as harsh as early K. So, I guess to that point, I wonder what Shire is going to be like because Shire is not a seventy some year old man; like he is a young guy. And so, like, how can he communicate and motivate today's player? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When he doesn't have the forty two years of success you know, to lean on. He doesn't have, he doesn't have LeBron calling him the goat. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, so it, it will be interesting. I, I, I really, I love Emil on the staff. I love the staff that's been put together. Jay Lucas. I, it will be interesting to see how they do this though, because if you remember Emil's last year, I felt like, man, he got it. His, his, his teammates, like they got at, into it quite a bit. And it was felt like Emil was like, I'm older, you're younger. You just don't get it. Like there was a little bit of mm-hmm. like tension there. And I don't know, will that be a good thing or will that bite them, you know, in the butt? Who knows? But it'll be interesting to see it play, play out for sure. Speaking of what Josh said about uh, Kay becoming, a, you know, like a grandfather figure, almost a little bit softer in his old age. I think it's funny to hear J.J. Reddick talk about, yeah, you know, the practices. Yeah. I mean, he's like, you know, practices weren't that easy when yeah. I was. Like, they're doing NBA there. walkthroughs over here now. Yeah, they're yeah, just exactly. stretching and doing layup lines. Like we were yeah. running through walls, you know. Yeah, so you got to think world. about it this way. Kay, you know, was obviously went to West Point, was brought up in that military thing, and then they played for Bob Knight, right? And then you guys are talking about, you know, he's getting softer in his age. Shire played with him, you know, it wasn't the very end, but what Shire was freshman in two thousand seven. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, that's. The last half of it was he, you know, is was Coach K the same uh, coach as he was for Shire as he was for, you know, Quinn Snyder? Obviously not, right? Right. So, right. It'll be interesting to see too, and I'm curious if, and I didn't have this on here on the outline for us to talk about, but it just popped in my head. Will we ever see another dual sport athlete at Duke? When are we going to get the next, you know, who's the next guy that's going to come through that might kind of play some football and basketball? Is is that even possible in the current I, market? See, I don't know. I, I think guys, by the time they hit like that sophomore year of high school, most guys have like figured out like what they're going to do. There's a couple of players on the football squad. Riley Leonard, who was just named our starting quarterback. Um, there's some there's some highlights of him on YouTube back in high school. Evidently, he really is a legit baller. And then uh, we had transfer come in, Darius Joyner. Um, he's from Alabama, and he said he grew up a Duke, uh, Duke basketball fan. And we we were talking to him a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, I feel like I go over to the basketball program and you know come off the bench and maybe give him just like maybe thirty five or so points, you know." <laughs> so he's, he's messed around. I don't I don't know I, I don't know that it'll ever happen. You know, football and basketball overlap so much. Yeah, you know what I mean, well, like the training, you, especially. 
you guys are the football guys. Uh, could Luke Kennard have played on the? I mean, because I've seen him throw. He could throw a football, and I, I think he was pretty good football, like Hallow quarterback, too. right? Yeah, Paulo. Yeah, honestly, then, after uh, honestly uh, after Daniel Jones left, we didn't have any quarterbacks. We would have taken him. So, and and Luke throws right handed, right? He does. Yeah, he throws yeah. right handed. Yeah, yeah, but he can't yeah. touch his hair with that helmet that's on. Right, before, that's right. So I don't yeah. know if that's any if any of the luck like brushes off with it. Could that's you funny. imagine Ben Caro playing football? I mean, that would just be—he's a beast, man. That would be ridiculous. And, uh, it would have to be someone more in that like walk on for like basketball yeah. or something like that. That maybe could potentially get a Casey Sanders or a Reggie Love type role yeah. or something like that. I, I don't what? see a big time dual sport athlete. I mean, maybe it could Wasn't happen. Greg Deion Paulus Sanders was walked like the, the door. Greg Paulus was the number one quarterback. He was he not in his. Yep. And honestly, his fifth year, he went to Syracuse and actually and played pretty played well. Played pretty well, yeah. Really? Played pretty well, yeah. Yep. Um, I, mean, yeah I don't know. That, I don't know that Duke would ever see like our our form of like Julius Peppers. I just don't. Right. I just don't know that that's ever going to happen. I mean that 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 that's just a unique thing that you know. I don't know. You just don't see it. You know, maybe if they were like you said, if there wasn't so much overlap and like the, when the season's occurring and going on, that would make it really difficult. I would think. Um, and then they would just also. Give them more opportunities to mess up a foot, right? I mean, at the end of the day. So, like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Does the football team practice throwing cinder blocks on their feet too? <laughs> you know, ironically, the football team has been pretty injury free during spring and fall camp, so, and uh, so they not. they're off they're off on a better uh, better trajectory than the basketball team right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess we buried the lead on that, right? So if, obviously, we're recording this. Uh, Tuesday night, we just found out Derek Whitehead looks like he's got a fractured foot, underwent surgery. You know, it's just the same. You know, it's good to see some things don't change, I guess. Right. <laughs> That's not the continuity I was hoping to get. But, you know, at some point, I think we have to like look at what's going on because like I don't know if it was you or somebody had mentioned it, that it's always seems to be freshmen. Yeah. Right. And it always seems to be foot or lower extremities, something in the data you would think conditioning wise, strength wise. Court wise, shoe wise, something might would be going on there. But you know, I talked to John Watson and he was saying that uh, you know, it sounds like probably just a, a couple weeks, six to seven weeks, two months, you know, max is which would put him on time to to come back for the season. But that's losing a lot of practice. We just now are getting Proctor onto campus. Grandison's trying to reintegrate. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and we saw last faces. year, we saw how long it took Griffin to really catch his stride. You know, it yep. took him uh, you know, six weeks or so yeah. um, back on the court before he fi- he felt, you know, comfortable. Well, I'm not, I'm actually not sure that he ever felt. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. It still was a lot of hesitancy getting yeah. in the lane and going up for stuff. But, um, well, let's talk a little bit just because I don't think we can, we don't really have any answers for it, but I think it really affects both sports at such a high level. This conference realignment stuff from the football side of things, how weird are you guys about this and what is this going to mean where would Duke land? Is the ACC still going to be here in your guys' opinion, or are we going to try to like get a package deal to go join one of these other supergroups? It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of scary when you look at it because, I mean, football is the revenue king, right? Mm-hmm. So football drives everything, um, but Duke football <laughs> is has not been just not been good lately. So I mean, we're hoping that Elko can can get us to the point where or we're good in, in a conference, maybe like the Big Ten, maybe Duke and UNC package and go to the Big Ten. I don't I, 
I don't believe UNC would want to leave the ACC without Duke. I mean, I, I feel like that it would be a package deal just because of the basketball rivalry is so huge. I know everybody says football drives everything, but that that rivalry is bigger than pretty much anything, any football rivalry or anything like that. So I feel like they can be in a good situation, especially basketball can be in a good situation because basketball, honestly, they could drop out of a conference and pull a Notre Dame and be fine. But football just – it's it's kind of scary. It is real scary. It's real. It's it's a lot of confusion, and I think though a lot of this stuff seems to be like it's it's on our plate right now. But it looks like a lot of it would be further down the road unless we're going to be paying just millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, right, to get out of that contract. Um, I, I don't know, man. It would it would be pretty devastating for me to see the ACC just go away. You know, it was tough for me when we expanded. Anyway, you know, I'm kind of yeah. old school and old timer yeah. in that way. And to see it go away would be hard for me as an adult fan, right? That would be something that not that I would check out completely, but that would that be a, a I don't want to turn into Louisville, Kentucky, where we're playing some meaningless game in December with Carolina in separate mm-hmm. conferences. You know, that's that would noon. be awful. Yeah. yeah, 12 noon on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, like, I feel like Notre Dame could be the whole key in all this. Like if if Notre Dame was to decide to say, hey, we're going to join the ACC in all the sports, like we're not just going to stay, you know, non-conference, no conference in football. We're going to join, we're going to join in football as well. I think all of a sudden you're looking at the ACC and they're, they're okay. I think they mm-hmm. would make, but Notre Dame just kind of. Didn't they throw a number out there of like 35 million or something? I, mm-hmm. They threw, they threw some number out. I, their, their NBC contract is, is a big deal. Obviously, with Notre Dame, but uh, you got to pay it though, right? I mean, yeah. you, almost, you almost have to just say whatever the financial it, it's either that or we lose a conference potentially. I'm yeah. with you if we get Notre Dame in, and then it's like hopefully all of these schools that used to be good at football, you know, like I'm still looking at you, Miami, FSU, Virginia yeah. Tech, like y'all need to get it together, step up to the plate. We get Wake back going, State back going, Carolina's got on paper, they get good beat team, by but... this week. Yep, yep. <laughs> Go out for sure. Yeah, yeah. Go Nears. Uh, I think we talked about football. You know, across the nation, the money and football drives. It's pretty interesting, and I don't know how much Duke shares or how much these financial numbers are complete. But I was doing some research on it, and um, this is as far as reported numbers. The Duke football program, as bad as they've been, uh, they only net. They're only net revenue. They are only $1.5 million behind the basketball program in net revenue each year. So I feel like a couple of, of sustained years of success, and I feel like the football program at the very least could catch up and who knows could get to the point where – because, I mean, look, everybody makes fun of Wallace Wade, but it is 40,000. does seat 40,000 people, right? So, like, your your ticket sales are decent there. Like, you make some money every game. You make some legit money. Duke's starting to get more donors on the football side as well. Nina's really pushing for a lot of that stuff. So, you know, who knows? I mean, UNC, uh, it's pretty crazy how much their football program brings in compared to their basketball program. And so, like, that would help us. That would help Duke out, I feel, uh, be a little bit more of a a real player in conference realignment if it happens. If we could say, listen, our football program is now equal revenue of our basketball or has surpassed basketball in that revenue. 
Yeah, so, at least competitive, right? Yeah, Which I guess that's yeah. a good segue of what is the NIL stuff going to look like for you guys on the football side of things? Like what's kind of going on? I know with the basketball, we just brought in Rachel Baker, which is a yep. huge hire. I mean, you're talking Nike, like connections, NBA connections. Yep. Is there something going on on the football side or it's a lot easier to do NIL with 14 scholarship guys, 13 scholarship guys than it is 50, right? So yeah. what does that even look like over there? Uh, we know the football office was involved with that, uh, with basically with like the, the Airbnb website, you know, that came out for NIL for Duke, like, you know, like you could come here and search for other, for NIL opportunities, you know, um, especially what it was. It's like, come, you can come to this website and we have links to all of these NIL opportunities. I don't know the only player, there's been two or three players that have been asked about NIL and their answer has been nothing, uh, like they, they aren't dabbling in it. I do know that there are a couple of players that have signed agent with agencies that are helping represent them. I just don't know, man. And I, I could be, my head could be in the sand here. I just don't know how much a second string defensive back that plays football at Duke. I just don't know what NIL looks like for that person. And I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to hate on anybody. I just, I don't know what it looks like. And I think sometimes I think like those really, really, really top tier NIL deals are the ones that we're talking about, but like the normal average athlete at a place like Duke, I just don't, especially football. I'm not sure if that's really going to come into play. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough. You know, you yeah. imagine that the, the Daniel Jones is going to get a big deal, right? He could make six, yeah. seven figures out there doing that. Uh, a Jamison Crowder could obviously have made a ton of money, but you're right. Like some of these guys that, and what happened, it's a harder sell because basketball, you can come in and be kind of featured in a way right away, right? Mm-hmm. Even, top 10, top 20, like freshmen, you know, at Duke, you're probably going to play, but a lot of these other schools, they're redshirting, right? They're yep. playing as sophomores yep. or redshirt juniors. It, it seems to be a tough sell a little bit on like how much you could guarantee from an NIL deal. And this is really, this sounds small, but if you think about it, football is also a sport where you have a helmet on. And if, if, if Jalen Calhoun, the best wide receiver on Duke, if he walked into the place you were, you guys were having dinner, and Jalen Calhoun walked in, you guys probably would not recognize him as Jalen Calhoun, uh, a all ACC wide receiver for Duke, right? So, like, right. but if Derek Lively walks in, or if Jeremy Roach walks in, there's instant recognition, and so mm-hmm. I think football's a little bit behind on that. I do think the Duke football social media strategy and the digital team that they're putting together there for football is getting better. We speak to them quite often, uh, multiple times a week. We're in communication with them. And I'm always like, just make sure the guys have their helmets off. Like, make sure the fans like get to know these guys. Like, you shouldn't have a you shouldn't have a ACC football player that goes to Duke. He should not be able to just go hang out at the grocery store and not have somebody be like, "Hey, what's up, Shaka? Like, man, I hope right. you guys have a great year this year." You know right. what I mean? That kind of thing. So, like, I think I think it's going to be a long process for football, but maybe it could get there. But just recognize that being able to be recognized is is huge. The Duke, the Duke football media is doing a great job, and they're playing off guys like Dwayne Carter, who have big personalities, mm-hmm. and they're and they are having them take their helmets off and be be visible on campus and doing different stuff like like that. So we're really hopeful, and it's it's that's all started to change under Coach Elko. Like honestly, once again, going back to Cutcliffe, that wouldn't have happened. Like they wouldn't have been all over campus doing doing social media, doing TikToks and stuff like that. It just wouldn't have happened. Right. 
Yeah. And you have to do it in this market, right? Well, in this day and age, you have to appeal. I mean, you're recruiting 17 year olds, 16 year olds, you know, 18 year old, you're going to have to be able to get in their world. And so that's doing the TikToks, that's doing all of these different things. And I think you hit on a big thing, which is visibility. And I would imagine for football, that's even more pressing because like you said, we got to get the helmets off. We got to get these guys out there so you can see the personalities. Um, I think that's really kind of what helped the basketball side take off when Dave started this. Yeah. You know, once he got Nolan on the mic, once he got those, you know, Marshall Plumley was another great one. Quinn Cook was a great one. Once you get the personalities on there, that sells itself. Yeah, shout out to that episode. Probably my favorite episode that you guys ever recorded uh, yeah, was Dave was, Bradley. I, I followed, I mean, Nolan, to me, Nolan, from the outside, outside perspective, I'm like, man, Nolan's the guy who opened that door. And I felt like from social media into the program. And then to know that Dave was really the guy behind a lot of what was going on. Uh, but it was so important. And Duke mm -hmm. was cutting edge in that. And they've never looked back. Yep. And so football Look at what it's done for recruiting, too. You know, that oh, was 07 when he takes over. or It was 06. It was right after the season ended, right? So they're sitting there and he's going through it. And look at, you know, from 07 to 10. And then look, once it took off and was running, look at the recruiting now. Not that we weren't getting great guys before, right? Like 99 was, was or 98 was a loaded class. Oh, two as well. Like a lot of these classes are loaded, but not at the level that we're at now where we're just picking and choosing how many of the top five guys, not which one, and, how many. <laughs> and we mentioned yeah. culture change. I mean, had we not done that and we just continued to recruit like we were, I mean, even if we were recruiting at a high level, times were changing. Yeah. And like if we didn't get ahead of that, we would have fallen behind. I, I, I believe it 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. But. Well, let's kind of, you know, I appreciate your guys coming on. I wanted to look ahead a little bit. Um, and I knew you said that y'all just dropped a pod today. So if you're listening to this, go check that out. Let's talk a little bit of Duke Temple because y'all y'all were obviously starting this week. We still got a few months before the basketball side. Um, I think I was looking at it. Duke opens as a seven-point favorite is what I was seeing. Um, what, are, what, are, what should we be looking for in that? Is seven strong or are we expecting us to be – you know, a, a two touchdown game here. What's gonna What's gonna be Elko's first game? I'm looking at. I think there will be some nerves in that first game. You know, Coach Elko even mentioned how excited he's going to be in his press conference this week that we were at. He mentioned how excited he's going to be when he runs out of that tunnel. I think he'll settle down once he gets on the sideline and, and it gets down to just coaching football. But um, Temple was was really bad last year, um, but. Their defense was a bright spot for uh, for their team. They had some games that really got away from them, but I think I read that their pass defense was like top five in the country. Oh wow! Like, like defenses defenses efficiency. So I think it's going to be a tough game. It might be a game where it's a or it's a good game, tight game for a half. But on our pod, I predicted Duke to win thirty one to seventeen. So I think it's going to end up being like a two score game. And Duke will, Duke will come out on top Friday night. Yeah, I, similarly, it's really interesting to see the two programs. Uh, Temple went through a coaching change, mm -hmm. and so they hired Stan Drayton. He's an older guy, but he had he has been around. He has been in the SEC. He's been all over the place. Um, and they hired him, and obviously we hired Elko. Uh, interesting tidbit. Elko was actually on their list in 2018. Uh, it's Temple's list. Uh, he didn't end up going through with that, so it's kind of an interesting thing. But also their quarterback, Dewan Mathis, um, he had previously – he was a high, high four-star, like basically a five-star quarterback. 
and he signed um, with Ohio State and then decommitted, and then he committed to Georgia. And he was at Georgia for a year fighting for the quarterback spot mm. and then transferred to Temple last year and honestly was so inconsistent. Um, but he has the physical tools. He was, a, but like I said, basically the highest four-star you get without without crossing that threshold in the five-star. And so that's going to be interesting for Duke. I mean, any defense having to deal with a mobile quarterback because he's mobile as well, having to deal with a mobile quarterback is going to be difficult. But um, he's a legitimate football player that anybody in the country would have been happy to have transfer into their program. And so, you know, I think the rest of uh, the roster, Duke is probably a step or two above um, Temple in the talent, you know, talent and speed and all those things. Um, but I do. I as well have Duke winning. I believe I had him winning uh, forty-one to thirty, a little bit more of a high-scoring game. I think Duke's offensive line, which is going to, which is going to have to be uh, one of their strengths this year. I think the offensive line does what it needs to do. But that's where we're sitting. Um, it's Friday night at seven thirty. It's an interesting. It's weird Friday that it's Friday, Friday right? To me, that's just yeah. weird to hear college football on a Friday. You know, I'm just yeah. old to the Thursday. Fr- Thursday, Saturday was always kind of the days. It's weird that it's Friday night lights. You know, what a yeah. what a way to start his because it's at Wallace Wade, right? It's it at Duke. So, um, hopefully, we get a pretty good turnout. Do you know if they're doing anything to try to like well, gauge it's, it's, interest? It's I mean, as far as us, so with our social following and with the people we interact with. Uh, I mean, we're having people hit us up trying to find tickets, which you can just go get them at goto.com. Uh, <laughs> but um, but we have people, I feel like it's going to be well attended. I think obviously uh, you do have the holiday weekend, which could you know mess some things up. But also, if you look at it this way, the game's over Friday night and people could take off and go out of town you know, Saturday morning as opposed to a Saturday game. Um, and so Cutcliffe used to hate Friday night games because it was high school football night. Yep. And, and, I, and I get that as well. And so I don't know how it's all going to play in. I think Duke would be – I think Duke football office would be happy if 25,000 people showed up in that 40,000-seat stadium. I think that would be success, and I think that will happen uh, personally. So a lot of energy, say, man. There's a lot of energy for sure. I will say Coach Elko has been interacting with the students quite a bit too, trying to get – trying to drum up ener- energy from the students and get them to come out and stay for the games. That's that's the key, get them to come out and stay for the games. Because last year, honestly, the student turnout was was pretty good to start the games. And then they would start, what, leaving around halftime, Josh? And then – No re-entry. Kinda, <laughs> they, wanted, they wanted to get beer, cheap beer, so uh, you, can't, you can't re-enter. That was one thing that we preached whole offices into Duke to the to the football offices. Like, if you would just let the students re-enter, like give them a wristband – let them leave during halftime. Let them go back to their dorm and do whatever. <laughs> and just let them back in the game. Like, but I don't know. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think Duke thinks like we want them to buy, you know, the $12 beer um, in the concession area. But um, anyway, but students are going to be, they've moved the students this year too over on the visitor side. So we'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. That's interesting. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah, it is. Uh, especially when sometimes there's like 50 students. Uh, there, you know that that's going to look kind of odd. Mm. Uh, but if if they get really good turnout, then it could be something cool. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned a little bit like predictions and just expectations overall. Like you know, going into the season, I guess for us that aren't quite on the same you know knowledge level of football, what kind of record or or like predictions have y'all talked about for for this year's team? 
for me, I I went with a six and six record. <laughs> I was kind of a uh, I was kind of a homer on that pick. Uh, I thought that they they might sweep the non-con, you know, starting with Temple and then Northwestern and then NCAA and T and then Kansas. Both Northwestern and Kansas are on the road. And now I was watching Northwestern and Nebraska on Saturday. I was like, I kind of regret and making that pick a little bit because they, they look pretty good against Nebraska out there in Ireland. But, um, yeah, I had us going six and six, sweeping the non-con, and then beating Georgia Tech, who is is really going to be bad this year, and then also beating Virginia Tech at Wallace Wade, which I don't think they're going to be – I think they're going to be better, but I don't, I, I don't think they're unbeatable, so I think it's – semi-realistic but now that i look back on my not because kansas is even going to be better too because they, they've got a, a a new coach who's in what is second year josh second, second or third year. yeah yeah so he's he's turning things around and they started looking a little better towards the end of last year so and once again that's a road game and northwestern's a road game so yeah. Well, no, well, bad. You picked us to go twenty and zero in conference and basketball. So you know, I keep the optimistic that, energy going. You know? I remember <laughs> that. That was crazy. I, 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 the man of reason on our podcast here. I had of us going four and eight, um, and I think we'll go three and one in non-conference. Um, and I had said we're going to lose to Kansas, and as Jamie said, I watched that game uh, in Ireland this past weekend, and I'm like, you know. I don't know what you can take away from that game. Was Nebraska, is Nebraska just really, really, really bad? You know, and they could be, um, you know, and, and obviously you're going overseas. So, like, right. there's no rhythm. There's no, like, so, I mean, I don't know how much you could really take from it. Um, but I have us winning three out of the four non-con games, and then I have us beating just Georgia Tech. And so George, Jeff Collins is the, is the coach at Georgia Tech. He is starting the season on the hot seat. And I think by that time, there's a chance that it could be like all but done, a done mm-hmm. deal for him. And and at that point, a lot of times the players are just kind of you check out, checking out. Yeah. So oh. that's that's my my theory on it. Now they can prove me wrong. If we go to a bowl game this year at six and six, that will be complete overachievement in my opinion, and I would be absolutely ecstatic, you know, if that happened. But I think realistically, we go four and eight. That's okay. my, my thought. Yeah. Yeah, so sounds like you know we're expected to hopefully take care of some business outside of conference. And then obviously yeah. you get into conference and you're dealing with a little bit of a different beast well, there. But and, and let me just say this: last year conference play, we got beat by Virginia, forty-eight to nothing. <clears throat> we got absolutely blown out by like Louisville. If we just if those games are just close in the fourth quarter and the energy's there, I'm not. You know, obviously we're not all about moral victories, and, and Elko's not all about them either. But staying competitive in games and keeping your energy level high. It is a step, and it, yep. you, you can't ignore that step. So, yep. yeah, got to get momentum, right? Yeah. You got to get some sort of momentum, or at least we're we can go back and look at film and say, you know, guys, we're three plays away from being yeah. right in this game versus forty-eight nothing. You're not really ever in the game, right? It's yeah. just there's too much. But if if it's you know fourteen, seventeen, or something like that, and it's like, look, we're we we make this coverage assignment over here, we complete this pass on third down, we're in this ball game, right? Yeah. Then we're putting yeah. pressure on teams and. Like you said, maybe maybe you still won. You know, well, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll uh, we'll outdo four and eight. But you know, hey, that's if you come in where that's the bar, then maybe nowhere but up. And people are just going to have to be patient. I mean, if you look back at when Coach Cutcliffe came in, it took him three years mm-hmm. before we were in a bowl game. So, and I'm saying that 
but after saying that, I'm, I'm predicting a <laughs> six and six record. So apparently, I'm not too patient. But yeah, I mean, it'd just be patient. I mean, you can see it changing. You can see the culture changing already. Um, the excitement is there, and I'm just really looking forward to Friday night being out there, at Wally Wade. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a really decent expectation would be for YouTube basketball fans to be interested in Duke football enough to make the two hour drive to come to a home game. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. that's the expectation yep. right there. Right. It's honestly like yeah. it is for the basketball heavy fan to be like, Hey, what's going on with Duke football? Like, let's, let's go, let's go check this. Let's go check it out. And like, let's go. And then start to kind of slowly build that, that fan base back up that in 2013, when we played A&M in Atlanta, that crowd was 50, 50. It was wild. It was 50, 50 with A&M. Duke fans showed up, a lot of alumni. It was it was there. And like, and then, you know, then it wasn't. But yeah. uh I think that would be the expectation to get like the basketball heavy fan to be like, hey, I might not get season tickets. I may not come every weekend, but I'm gonna keep up with it and I'm gonna make it out to a couple games. Right. You know what I mean? And come and come see the guys play. So yeah. now, especially, you know, for, for the basketball fans as basketball starts to get get going, you know book you a weekend you know yep. if you go to the washington dude stay for a weekend and catch a football game and a basketball game or something right. like that right try to make it to where you can um you can reel those fans and especially the students i would imagine that would be a huge selling point you talked about it of how do we retain students how do we get them more interested in this i think we've even seen it on the basketball side the last seven to ten years that the level of enthusiasm isn't really there and it's it's really only there because of the history of it. So it's kind of like this expectation of this is just what you do, regardless of if you care or not. And I'm not knocking the fans last year. We had some great, great games where there's a lot of energy. Um, but there's been some times over the last three or four years where it's been pretty quiet. It hasn't really been as organized as it was. Um, it's just a different level of student, right? It's a different level of a younger generation. It's just different. It's been yeah, there's way too score, many social yeah, media you can score on. ACC tickets like on a week on a weeknight. It, I mean, there was several times where Duke would send an email out and say, "Hey, you yeah. know, face value tickets come come stand stand in the student section." Yeah, yeah there's section there's section nineteen. Uh, there's yeah. section nineteen student tickets were on so way too much, even in case last year. Last yeah. year, like there were there. Look, I went to eight games last year. And uh, I didn't, I mean, I didn't pay premium money for any of them. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So like at the end of the day, um, it is a challenge. I mean, it's obviously a challenge in football, but basketball, they can't ignore it. I mean, Cameron went from all the whole side, all sides of that lower bowl being yep. students at one point in time. Yep. So like now it's one side and now it's, oh, the ends are this and that, you know what I mean? And yep. now it's like, oh, in the corners, you can see some spottiness and then, you can then you're looking at the student section. There's like a 63 year old man, you know, doing the doing the student dances. You know what I mean? So it's like, so obviously it is it is a little different. But um, I'd love to see Cameron get back to that kind of cutthroat appropriately, but right. kind of that cutthroat uh, place again, where like legitimately people did not want to come play there. Yeah, the energy yeah. was intimidating itself, yeah. right? When they yeah. were, I mean, I remember even not that long ago, but like it was 2009 or something. It was Henderson and Shire. Uh, it was Henderson, it was their junior year, but Henderson left after that year. I think there was a point when they said like prior to tip off, I don't remember if it was Wake Forest or Maryland, Maryland. but it was like the equivalent <clears throat> of a jet at takeoff, like decibel level, right? The floor's literally shaking. 
I want to get back to that. Yeah. You know, just really yep. have the energy, especially on the football side of things too, right? Where you just get those huge sections. Um, we're doing cross field chants, you know, yep. get the energy going. Um, that's yep. that's worth a few points in itself. I agree. I agree. But well, you know, I'm thankful for you guys for for coming on and want to be cautious of your time here. Um, so I want you to just, you know, plug what you got going on, plug the podcast. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they subscribe? What, what's what's on your radar? Yeah. So um, you can find us our, on Twitter uh, at, at Duke FB Talk on Twitter. Um, and then on Facebook, we have a Facebook group um, that's rolling. We're approaching a thousand people in that group. Um, and that is just searching Duke football talk um, on Facebook. And then our podcast is called the section 17 podcast. And it's available uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever you listen. And so uh, we always, we always tell people give us five star ratings and reviews because we are, we are ahead of the official Duke football podcast in ratings and reviews. And we want to stay ahead. Uh, so you know, as you guys always know, the more five-star ratings and reviews you get on the Devil's Den, it seems like the better your numbers get. And so yep. we're always looking for that. But, yeah, hit us up on Twitter. We stay the most active on Twitter, uh, especially during football season and during the game weeks and such. And uh, and then if you come to a game at Wallace Wade, we sit on the top row of Section 17. Uh, that way we can lean up against the seat backs. And, uh, and so we sit on the top row of hmm. Section 17. And we've got a good crew of people that come and sit with us and hang out. It's a general admission section. So anybody can sit there. And so if, if anybody's listening, comes to games, come say hi, introduce yourself, and we'd love to hang out. There you go. Just a bunch of good fellas up there, right? Just That's hanging it, out. It's like 17. Yep. I like it. I like it. Um, well, you know, also as well, you know, if you're listening to us, you know, email us, thedevilsdenpod at gmail.com. Check us out on the boards at the Devil's Den. Uh, we're still a little bit away from basketball, but we got some content coming up. Check out our championship series. I think uh, the 2010 one will be coming out in the next week or so. Um, so that was a lot of fun going through that and we'll come back on and do a big preview and prediction as we get a little bit closer. Maybe we'll hear a little bit more about what's going on with Derek. Um, but you know, in the meantime, you know, go out, support the football team Friday, right? It doesn't have to be this Friday, but find you a game, take the family, go out, have a good time. Uh, let's really bring in the new administration strong and let's, you know, make Duke great again. Right. How about that? There you go. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, as, as we, we say goodbye to Kay, but we'll, we'll keep some of his mantras. So in the meantime, you know, keep the faces strong in the verve. Go Duke.